2nd, 2013. You're listening to Free Admission on freeadmissionfr.com and also available on iTunes. I am Ben Turpin, and I am going to recount my live experience from this past Saturday's Ring of Honor debut in the Asheville, North Carolina area, just south in Fletcher, North Carolina, at the WNC Agriculture Center as they presented war. I think this show turned out to be much more memorable than anybody could have expected and for reasons that nobody would have expected. With that said, I'm not really going to talk about that at all. It's all pretty much out there at this point, and it's accurate. With that said, I will talk about what I saw happen in the ring when it comes to that point. In terms of crowd size, Ring of Honor had to be super pleased. I think they even mentioned that in their post-wrap-up YouTube video, which also previewed this weekend show. This building, very similar to the Charlotte building. In fact, both are expo centers, very similar in size, which is 90 minutes away, of course, in Charlotte. Kind of tough to put in perspective the size of the crowd because of the positioning of the ring and the entrance being different, Uh, but I would say it's very comparable, probably as a safe estimate in the 375 to 425 area. I saw as high as 500 plus. I think that's a bit excessive, but either way, I know they had to be very happy. Comparable to Charlotte in terms of size, not so much comparable in terms of reaction, but I think the noise was similar. I think this crowd was kind of comparable to the Dearborn crowd, where I thought they were obviously there, like you could see on tape, like there was a big crowd there, and there were spurts of them really being into certain parts of the show, but at times maybe it felt like they didn't know how or when to react, and I'll talk about that as the show goes on. Um, and they were clearly there to, t- to see the TV stars. And when I say TV stars, I mean the obvious Kevin Steen, Briscoes, Wolves, and then I think the next tier is like Jay Lethal and Roderick Strong and Elgin. Um, but even Adam Page, who's had some TV exposure, Alabama Attitude, who's had less than them but has had some TV exposure, and then I think the most glaring example was Cedric Caprice. Granted, they were in there with the Wolves, but they were having, they had a great match or a really good match with the Wolves, and the crowd just wouldn't give them a chance at all. And I'll talk about that through, you know, the certain matches that I think it affected. The show was delayed 20 minutes because of, believe it or not, production and lighting issues. You know, and everybody's familiar with the reputation of Ring of Honor when it comes to that area. My suggestion is when it's clear there's a problem or it's too dark, or you don't have the proper setup, or your building's too big, or your building's too small, just do everyone a favor and turn the lights on. They opened with Adam Page and Michael Elgin. I think this will come off better on tape. It really bothered me because the crowd didn't buy into anything that Adam Page did. Um, It wasn't as good as the Jay Lethal match from Charlotte in September which isn't fair because that was a really, really good match. You know, everybody think thinks that match is really good or, you know, thought it was really good, and I still think it's actually underrated. And, I'm you know, I don't like to throw around underrated and overrated too often. Um, but this was a decent opener. It probably turned out to be one of the better matches of the show. They gave Adam Page a lot, hit a swinging neckbreaker from the second rope. They were standing on the second rope on you know, with with the turnbuckles to their back, and he had a swinging neckbreaker, kicked out of some big series of moves, um, and, uh, you know, definitely a fun opener, and like I said, I think it'll come off better on tape. Elgin won this with a combination of a back fist, buckle bomb, and Elgin bomb. But again, it kind of hurt my enjoyment live just because they give Adam Page so much, and the crowd just, you know, 
again, didn't really respond to anything he did. And in ways, I can't necessarily blame them just because, I mean, did anybody really buy Adam Page winning this match? Uh, but that's not really that's not really the Ring of Honor spirit of what you would expect. But then when you talk about Ring of Honor spirit and what you expect from Ring of Honor, it's a different Ring of Honor. So Next, they did QT Marshall and Darren Dean. Darren Dean, a student of Davey Richards, Kyle O'Reilly, Tony Kazina. Um, I think he's from the West Coast, now living in Missouri. QT Marshall cut a promo that was actually, I think, longer than the match. He name-dropped Misawa, Tanahashi, Devitt. I think he name-dropped Misawa. I may have misheard that for somebody else. And then he said the one he hopes is his partner this Friday at, in NYC at the iPay-Per-View is Alex Shelley. Random fact, Alex Shelley actually followed Tadarius Thomas on Twitter. So, I don't know if that really means anything. As far as the match goes, I don't remember anything about it. I know the crowd chanted, Who are you, at both guys. It ended in a no contest when Jacobs, Carino, and Jimmy Rave interfered. They were promoting a mystery team of sorts uh, with Carino and Jimmy Jacobs, and it turned out to be Jimmy Jacobs and Jimmy Rave. Jimmy Rave, by the way, it's so... Not necessarily like refreshing, but he's just such a good workhorse. And he's going to be so good if he's on every house show. Just no matter what position of the card he's on. And I think Ring of Honor not necessarily needs more guys like him because you're not necessarily going to be able to find a lot of guys like him just in terms of experience and what he's, been, you know, what he's done in his tenure at this point. But more guys that just are going to always have solid matches. And I think... Ring of Honor sometimes with their mid-card and undercards when it comes to these house shows and iPay-Per-Views is still a little bit more miss than hit, but it's improving. So they had Carino, Jimmy Jacobs, and Rave come out. Carino's more of the mouthpiece at this point than, say, somebody who's actively involved in beatdowns, but he is a little bit. This led to Redwood and Mondo, who came out and made the save. Um... Again, a match, I can't really tell you anything that happened in it. It was just a pretty formulaic tag, which is okay. Um, I think it went about 8 or 10 minutes. Jimmy, and they're both Jimmy, uh, Jacobs and Rave won this with a double-team move on Redwood, which I do not recall. One thing I will note about this, I've been a big detractor of Mike Mondo. I've always said I thought he was a talented guy, but his gimmick did no favors in let it, making anybody like him. I think there's something there with him and Grizzly as a tag team in terms of having the ultimate underdog in Grizzly Redwood, and then you have, like, Mondo's, you know, little guy, big guy thing going on. Um, I don't know, it just really worked for me. Uh, so, you know, there's a compliment for Mike Mondo, and if they wanted to keep teaming those guys, I would be okay with that. Although I would, of course, still prefer somebody else being Mike Mondo's spot. And Grizzly Redwood's always on the road, so there's no reason not to use them. Um, use them, and I like Redwood. I just don't like when... You know, when Delirious did this, so, I mean, I'm sure it's inevitable. He gets 10-minute competitive matches, and I think there's a big difference between 6-minute competitive matches and 10 to, like, 12-minute competitive matches, and when he was doing that under Delirious's original tenure, it was, like, really glaring and bothered me tremendously, especially in a, one or two instances like Tommaso Ciampa in New York City. I think it was Ciampa's debut, and so, for the embassy, and... The match legitimately went like 11 and a half minutes. And Ciampa just looked like a dude who couldn't beat Grizzly Redwood. Um, and I know that's his character, but I don't think a lot of people can buy into it, so that's a problem. After the match, another beatdown. Rhett Titus inserts himself. 
They attempted to put Grizzly Redwood through a table, but BJ Whitmer made the save, leading to our next match, Rhett Titus and BJ Whitmer. In moderation, I love the continuation booking from one match to the next. I think sometimes when Gabe did it, it felt a little repetitive, and it may feel that way because I feel like this is going to be a pattern moving forward with the Scum ROH program or feud, but this is the first time this has happened in a long time in Ring of Honor, unless there's just something that that that's not jumping out at me at the moment. And Gabe was, you know, Gabe loved this type of booking. But again, in moderation, I really, I really like it. Another kind of nothing match. I mean, they're probably going to have several matches, and they're probably going to have some stipulation matches at some point. And this was just kind of like the first match in that, and it was a basic wrestling match. Finish was Rhett winning with a roll of change, uh, knocking out BJ. Uh, and then after the match, they did do a spot with Jacobs taking a sp- Yeah, I think Jimmy Jacobs took the spot through the table. And that was actually during the match, not f- and then they let- which led to the finish of the roll of change. And I don't really want to draw the parallels to the Aces and Eights, but look who won here. Jimmy Jacobs and Jimmy Rave and Rhett Titus. So they do the scum beatdown on BJ. Wolves make the save, leading to our next match: American Wolves, Eddie Edwards, and Davy Richards against the CNC Wrestle Factory, who actually got a shirt that was released this past weekend. Um, this was easily the match of the night for me. Uh, the people around me—it was interesting. You could tell that this was—I—I I don't want to say that like it was—it was just queer my section. I think a lot of those people came because they saw it on TV. And again, there's not anything wrong with that. It's just you get interesting responses and like the like four like the maybe like I don't know eight to fifteen people around me were just like oh that was the greatest match I've ever seen and you know that's cool I don't know it's just it is someone who like I take a invested interest in like attending different buildings and different venues and experiencing different types of crowds and seeing how they react and they respond to certain things, so I just find it very interesting. They, I mean, this is pretty much what you would expect for these guys with 15 or 20 minutes. Um, The one thing that really bothered me about this match was that the crowd just wouldn't get behind Cedric and Caprice at all, and I tried with every fiber of my being to do so, and my section would just look at me. If I started a CNC chant or a Cedric chant, they would just look at me like, what's wrong with you? I'm convinced in ways that there was a large section of this crowd that didn't know their names were Cedric Alexander and Caprice Coleman. Cedric Alexander was a total star in this match. I thought he was the star, like, far and away. Just, like, great performance from him. I think they're... I think him and Cedric are... I think him and Caprice are a great team. I don't think they've necessarily been put in a fantastic position, obviously under Cornette, but even so far under Delirious, but they're just kind of going to be that team that's in the mid-card, which is okay. I would still like to see them have singles matches, and I know I don't know if I've really ever harped on this on a podcast on free admission, but anybody who knows me knows how I feel about it. They need to split up these tag teams more, and I think they will under Delirious, and when they run more house shows, there's just no reason not to. Like, because it adds another element, and I think it, it really maintains a freshness factor, which is important in tag team division, where it's hard to have a strong tag team division, and it's hard not to run through all the pairings. And so when you have Cedric and Caprice, who are both accomplished singles guys, and who are both solid singles guys, 
you need to go with that. And you've already seen so far with Delirious, he's put the Briscoes in singles matches. Hell, he's putting Jay Briscoe in the main event. He put Mark in the main event on this show. I don't know how the card would have originally been, but I imagine it would have been even better if Jay would have worked this show. And I know that it was actually originally supposed to have ACH and Elgin, and BJ was going to be in the four-way. It would have been the same other three guys in the four-way, but BJ was going to be in there. Uh, they gave Cedric a Caprice. Uh, there was actually their double-team spot where they do the Hurricane Rana from Caprice basic splash from the top rope from Cedric. Uh, I think they actually had me there. I thought it was, a, you know, the the way it led to it. I thought it was a very good spot and a very believable spot that they could have won at that point. Um, again, match of the night, and, uh, you know, I hope Cedric and Caprice, I hope they, uh, you know, the match with the Bravados, this was better than that one from September, and I know that everybody thought that was both teams' respective best match, I think, most people did at least. Um, it was better than that one. I think the matches were kind of different, actually, though. I think this one was more of your kind of, like, expected, high-spirited indie style. I think the Bravados one was a little more slowed down, maybe a little more traditional, but I could be way off on that. I'm not sure. Bobby Fish did commentary on this match, by the way. Finish was the Tombstone, and Eddie is doing, like, a straight-up kick to the head now, which is better than when he was doing, like, a sidekick if that makes any sense. And he did that at Final Battle, I believe. At this point, we went to intermission. They came back from intermission with a 10-bell salute for Reed Flair. Before I even knew what happened, Haas was in the ring talking about... And I think he had an entrance. I think his entrance music hit. And before I even knew what was going on, he said it was going to be his final match. He... It, yeah, and I was like, you know, at this point, I was just, like, convinced that, you know, it's they're just going to do some sort of tie-in angle. They're going to try to get sympathy from the crowd, and then, you know, he's going to say, oh, I can play with you guys and do whatever I want to go fuck yourselves or whatever it may have been. And then he started to shoot on Delirious, and he kind of implied, and I paraphrased, no matter what he or Delirious may say of me, I love him. And then he started to put over some of the guys, and he said how he loved everybody despite the idea that maybe some of them would talk shit about him. Again, just paraphrasing a little bit or implying. Um, put over some of the boys. Said it was going to be his final match. Again, I thought it was they were just doing a tie-in thing. Then Jeff Neal came out. Jeff Lewis Neal, I believe is his name, who's a local guy. I think they did local advertising on this match on radio. At least that's what Haas said uh, when he got face-to-face with Neal in the ring. They had a match. Haas was crying, and that's when I was convinced. There was, uh, there was one section of the match where he had a headlock on, and it was an extended headlock, and he just kind of looked up and looked to the crowd, and he started cr- he was crying, visibly crying. I didn't notice that he was crying throughout the entire match, but definitely at that point I did. And then he did a top rope belly-to-belly, which I found very odd, uh, and that was a near-fall spot. And then, of course, Jeff Neal getting the win. That convinced me that, you know. And then they, they wouldn't give him a mic, and he proceeded to shoot some more and put over the boys put over the guys in Ring of Honor being in good hands with Eddie Edwards and, you know, and the likes. I think Eddie Edwards was one of the guys that he name-dropped. I don't remember exactly. Um, said he and Shelton, one of the greatest tag teams of the last 50 years in professional wrestling, and said, he's done. There's going to be no match next week. It's time for me to go home and be a dad and be a husband. And I forgot to mention, actually probably the best part of this entire segment, and it's something that's been overlooked, is there was a random Super Dragon chant from these guys to the left of me in front row. And Haas just asked, who the fuck is Super Dragon? And 
I almost want to see this footage get released just so I can relive that. Next up, we had the... And the finish of the match was a crucifix, uh, crucifix roll-through and a crucifix position. Um, next up, we had the tag title match, Alabama Attitude of Corey Hollis and Mike Posey, who needs to go away. Mike Posey, that is. Uh, against the tag champions of Kyle and Fish. This, this was a match where they tried to establish a heel-face dynamic, and they tried to give the crowd a reason to get behind Alabama Attitude, but they just weren't... I mean, they just weren't going to have it at all. Just like... And, and on top of that, just no fucks given about Kyle or Fish. And those are guys... Fish has a bit of an excuse in terms of familiarity on the TV. Kyle, not so much. Granted, Kyle's been treated like a geek on the TV for a long, long time. Um... I don't think Ring of Honor expects to experience these types of crowds very often. I don't know, maybe that's a very shallow comment. Maybe. Um, they This was uh, far superior to the TV match, of course. They did a lot. I thought it was pretty good. The crowd just... like they. I think they went like 10 or 12 minutes, maybe even longer than that. And, you know, they did some cool stuff, but when you have a crowd that just isn't going to respond at all. And maybe it'll come off better on tape. Maybe it will. Um, but they weren't responding to either team, so that did no favors. Mike Posey, I think everybody knows that, and I'm fine saying this here, the team should be the team that should be in Ring of Honor, and I think a lot of people agree, is Corey Hollis and Chip Day. Uh, I don't have a... A lot of people think I have like this... this random hatred for Mike Posey, and I do, but it's because he's a terrible referee. For people that don't know, Mike Posey is legitimately one of the worst referees ever. And I say that based on... He worked for TNA when they were doing the Wednesday pay-per-views, and then he later became drop dropkick Mike Posey, and he ruined two TNA Wednesday pay-per-view main events, one notably between Frankie Kazarian and AJ Styles. And I always remembered that. Mike Posey fucked up that finish. Some years later, he gets a job with the WWE. And his first match, and I don't even know how I recall it being his first match, probably because they were bringing guys up when it was ECW television. Uh, That was their first star. And I was probably watching at least Raw consistently at the time. Mind you, I haven't watched SmackDown consistently in probably a decade, so maybe he was on there, but I'm pretty confident that they were bringing, you know, they had a different core of guys that were doing ECW, and I was watching ECW at the time, and I'm pretty confident because I've been familiar with Mike Posey because I did have that hatred after that Kazarian AJ Wednesday finish, or Wednesday pay-per-view TNA finish, and the first television match that he had for the WWE on ECW, and I don't even remember the match, he fucked up the finish. And it's just like, that just blows my mind that you have so many referees in professional wrestling, so many, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Guys that aren't going to mess up finishes. And Mike Posey somehow goes from doing that on national pay-per-view to being on national television in another company, in the biggest company, and doing it again. And he didn't last there very long, and I'm not sure why, and then he showed back up on the Indies, of course, being from the South, and I've had to see him on a number of shows, and I always remind him how terrible he is. After the match, Fish told a kid the Easter Bunny is a hoax, 
and that was right beside me, so I got a big kick out of that. The finish to this was the Brain Buster kick combo that they've used a couple times now for finishes. I think they used it to beat the Briscoes. Um, there's probably a better name or a reference to a prior team that's used that combination, and I'm just stupid. Next, we got the Proving Ground match. ACH, Matt Taven, who's the television champion, Roderick Strong, and Jay Lethal. I think they stated at some point that you had to pin Taven to get the TV title shot, but I'm pretty confident that's not what was stated online weeks prior. Maybe it was the article that they posted to preview the show, or maybe it was before the match, but I remember having that thought. This match was incredibly disappointing. Um, this was probably my most anticipated match on the show, and it just didn't work. The effort was there, the time, they got plenty of time, and they just messed up the two critical points in the match. Uh, the first one, they were doing a dive sequence, and ACH did one of his middle rope topes or middle rope dives, and he slipped. He kind of recovered a little bit with a safe signal, and then they did a big Tower of Doom spot. It was a little more of a sophisticated Tower of Doom, because I think it was strong and lethal, and ACH and Taven were setting up a spot and they were going to come to the middle of the ring and they were going to do like a suplex spot or maybe a DDT while Strong and Lethal had them hoisted but basically what happened was they all collapsed and it looked like crap they also did you know a spot where all guys you know like hit moves and then they're all you know down on the ground and it just didn't work um so you know I hate to, and I know a lot of people are going to look forward to that match when they see it on paper, and it was in the sub-main event, and again, it got time, and the effort was there, it just didn't work. I think that's a case where 9 times out of 10, this match would be better, and it just happened to be that one time. Um, and I think that, you know, when I forgot to mention that I heard Delirious go absolutely apeshit during the opening portion of Cedric Hickapriest and Wolves, is you've got to question how that might affect guys. I mean, I know these are professionals, but these are, you know, and especially guys like you know, lethal and strong who are very tenured, but I don't know about ACH and I know Matt Taven's a little tenured and he's been around a little while, but you know, and, and guys like Corey Hollis and Mike Posey and fish and Kyle, you know, these are professionals, but I wonder how like an altercation or like what happened with Haas could affect their performance. Um, and I think maybe there was some carry over there, but I guess I'll never really know that. Um, of course, because they may not even really care that much, and just, you know, it could have been an off night for the guys. ACH won this with his cradle package DDT move on Taven, got the pin, he's getting his title match, which they announced earlier yesterday uh, at the Saturday TV tapings, and I think a lot of people are kind of sweeping these TV tapings under the rug a little bit, just because it's a TV taping. I'd be pretty surprised if they don't give those top three matches a lot of time and then just put them on TV and maybe edit them I wish they would do that anyways I think they need to get away from promoting them as TV tapings I don't I don't think they need to do that if they went to Toronto or New York City and just promoted the TV taping as a show and booked a good card and then had like some filler stuff in between but just give all the matches that people expect to get a lot of time don't book them for TV where they get 13 or 14 minutes Book them like you normally would and just edit them for TV. I don't know, like, it, it just seems like an easy process. But maybe it's easier for them to do whatever it is that they're doing. Um, and I would expect that ACH and Taven will probably do something like a 15-minute draw and set up a rematch at the Toronto show. But that's just a random prediction. 
Main event was Mark Briscoe and Kevin Steen. Exactly what I expected. This is a very enjoyable, fun main event. They had Uncle Jethro and Papa Briscoe right behind me. Steen did a couple of uh, face-off spots with them. And then uh, they had a lot of, uh, I don't want to say crutches, but they had a lot to add heat to this match in terms of Jay Briscoe coming to ringside, then Scum interfering, and Uncle Jethro and Papa Briscoe cutting him off and starting a brawl. And then they did this one good spot where they did a... Mark Briscoe did a dive, and Mark Briscoe was a lot more serious in this match. And I saw that in the promo as well that they released online before, where they were talking about, you know, don't overlook, you know, Mark. Uh, of course, because, you know, the match with Jay is this Friday. He almost, like in that promo, he almost wanted to get silly. I just felt it, and then he didn't. Um, and there was times in this match where it felt like he wanted to kind of get a little goofy, and he was still Mark Briscoe, you know, with, like, the kung fu chops and stuff, but there was clearly more of an intention to, like, work than I've seen from Mark Briscoe in a long time. Um, and I think, you know, as much as people underrate Jay Briscoe, in my opinion, like, he should be the world champion. I mean, why not? Um, I think the same thing happens... I mean, Mark's not as good as Jay, but I think he gets kind of underrated as well. And I think they get categorized, and I think it's fine if you're, like, a newer fan. I mean, that makes sense to categorize them as tag team wrestlers, but they're both. Like, Mark is more than competent, and Jay is a star as a singles guy. And I'll talk about it in my preview of Supercard of Honor. Jay and Steen is, like, the best match that Ring of Honor could book. You have the two biggest stars there. If you don't want to buy Jay as a singles guy, that's your fault. Again, if you're a newer fan, I guess I could kind of understand it. I'm not looking as forward to the match as I was before the Jay Briscoe injury, but I don't think there's any questioning that they're going to go out there and give it their all and try to have, like, a super memorable match. Although I have to, you know, and they'll probably neglect the arm altogether. It wouldn't surprise me. But I know that Jay's pretty hurt, so I don't know how that's going to have an effect on the match. But I know it did It did kind of hurt my expectations a little bit for it. So they did the splash through the table and then a froggy bow spot, and I think the crowd peaked at that point. Um... Everybody was standing in the place. I thought everybody, you know, they did. That was a great spot, and everybody bought that Mark was going to win the title right there, and they had him. So, you know, job well done. Uh, they went about 15 minutes, you know, didn't overstay its welcome, did exactly what I thought it would do. So, overall, I would say, I would say, as per the what has, and I, I don't think we've, we did an audio for Glory by Honor, but really since then, I haven't been able to kind of break down how I feel about Delirious, and I'm not going to break it down entirely, but you can't argue with the consistency in the ring. I don't think it's clicked on a show yet all the way. It will, though, if he keeps booking shows like this, and there was a lot, I think there was, I don't want to say there was more misses than hits on this show, there was some, it was slowed down a little bit, and then at certain points, like that three-match stretch with Dean and QT and then the two scum matches, it's fine there because nobody really expects anything to, things of those matches. And then, like, the four-way had an opportunity to be a great match. It just didn't It just didn't click. And as long as Delirious keeps booking these types of cards and putting the matches in the positions that he has been, it'll eventually click. It's not easy to have great shows. You know, Gabe didn't have... I mean goes without saying Gabe you know that ring of honor had a lot more momentum was in a different place in time but Gabe wasn't having great shows every time you know he had good shows and really good shows and great shows 
I think what I appreciate about Delirious and what I'm getting at with this positioning and kind of the consistency is that under Cornette, I never felt like a show could be great because I just thought there were always certain things that were happening that handicapped the show that prevented it from getting there. With Delirious, every show so far, I feel like not necessarily that it's been booked to be the best show that it could have been, but it's certainly been put in a much better position. And like I said, when everything clicks on one of these shows now, it's going to be... I think it has the potential to be like categorized in like top R weight shows of all time. Like that Toronto show with the two Puro matches, Cole and Steen, you figure maybe they do an Elgin Strong stipulation match. Or NYC this Saturday. It's now a seven-match card. They haven't addressed what's going to happen with Shelton and Haas yet. If the top four matches on that show, Jay Elgin, Carl Anderson, and Roddy Strong, and the two title matches deliver, they don't even have to deliver to their fullest expectations, but they all deliver great matches, which, does anybody question that all those matches could be great? It could easily be a show of the year. I think everything could have clicked on a Cornette show, like every time, and I don't think they would have been great shows. Just my opinion. I know some people would argue that, but... I think it was the weakest of the four house shows they've had so far this year. I will say that, but again, you can't really... I just can't argue with the consistency in the ring. It's just so different than Cornette. Um, and sometimes it's hard for me to kind of sit here and put it into perspective and say, well, what what it, what exactly is going on that makes it different? What makes the style different? I mean, what what are the conversations like before they go out there and have the match? Like, oh, slow down. Well, what does that entail? You know, I don't know that. I'm not a worker. But I can see a noticeable difference. And that's the best way that I can express it. And maybe on another day I could express it a little bit better. But I want to thank everybody for listening. I'll be back hopefully like maybe like right after I'm done recording this, I will post it or I'll just go ahead and record. And I'm not sure if I'm going to do one or two shows for the WrestleMania weekend stuff, but that will be done momentarily. And I'll get that up uh, with my thoughts on all the shows, WrestleMania, the show itself. And uh, again, thanks for listening. This has been Turpin for freeadmissionfr.com. And I'll be talking to you again shortly.